Good morning, everyone, and welcome to the second episode of Everything 3P. We are visited again with David Howell, and I appreciate Dave because there's a lot of things that we'll be talking about today as far as retail arbitrage. And well, first of all, Dave, what's what's your what's your experience with retail arbitrage? Oh, I'm not even sure I know what that definition is. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's a good question. It's actually one of those I always I always feel when I, I mention retail arbitrage, it kind of raises everybody's eyebrows in a room because it's kind of one of those big words that make you sound smart, right? Um, <laughs> yes. But what it really means is is buying low and selling high. But how do they buy low? Right. There's different ways. Uh, the traditional retail arbitrage would be going to a kind of a, a secondary box retailer like a mm -hmm. Marshalls or Ross or Costco or one of those where you can buy it at a discounted rate um, or in caps at the Walmart uh, uh, clearance items, things of that nature, and you're buying it at a, a lower rate. And depending on the quantity you can get, you can make a little bit on a lot of sales as opposed to if you're an authorized reseller and you buy it at a set fee from a distributor and you're getting set margins. Retail arbitrage doesn't really have those set margins. It's more of what you can get your hands on. Um, so that's kind of the traditional arbitrage. Got it. Well, and here's the other question too, because I've I, I've spoken with a lot of third party sellers as of late, and especially when they get a, a cease and desist letter from a from a company like yours, uh, and they're going, wait, wait a second here, I bought this legally uh, according to first sales doc first sales doctrine, I can do whatever I want with this product, and uh, therefore I don't have to listen to the cease and desist letter. Now. Tell me where where might the faulty thinking be on something like that? Well, and that's pretty much your right. You know, after sending thousands of them, I mean, I, I would assume you and I probably sent ten thousand of this <laughs> today. Um, we do get we do get that pretty standard. I bought the product legitimately, so I have the right to sell it. And in a lot of instances, it, and I would say that for the most part, they're right. You yeah. do have the right to sell that product. But there comes a point where there's a a, a level of the manufacturer has the right to dictate a level. And I know lawyers don't like to hear the word dictate, don't like to hear these types of things, but but if we break it down, the 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 first sale doctrine that goes way back, well over a hundred years, right. um, that was more for if I bought if I bought myself an iPhone and I used it for a while and didn't really like it and I wanted to sell it, the manufacturer at some level has transferred um, kind of a limited use of their intellectual property for me to sell that product, right? right. So if I want to go sell it on eBay or I want to sell a Craigslist or whatever, I can't get in trouble for that because I'm, I'm technically reselling something that was mine, right? I right. bought it legitimately, don't really like it, so I have the right to sell it. Right. Garage sales, online, whatever it is. But what happened with the internet, which is what really changed things, was right. anybody can sell anything they can get their hands on. Yep. And then it started people really looking hard. So you started out when, when, you know, in the conception of a lot of this marketplace, especially not so much the auction sites, but really going to look at, at what we call open marketplace, open marketplace commerce, you know, the Amazons of the world, things of that nature. These retail arbitragers tried everything to try to get a lot of product. Yep. So it wasn't just the end capped. It wasn't just those types of things. It was looking at rogue distribution or becoming a part of a co-op like an Ace Hardware or an mm -hmm. NAPA Auto Parts where you're a co-op and you can get these things in a much dis discounted rate. So the, the, the problem is now a manufacturer is being held to certain guidelines. So to really answer your question, is it legal or if it's not legal, I think it comes, you know, that's obviously for a lawyer or for, a, for, for a, even a judge to decide if it ever went to, went to litigation or, or a complaint was filed. But in my world, 
anybody has the right to sell anything, but maybe not new. Yep. And that's where it comes down to. And this is the big misconception. So there's two two points I'm gonna I'm gonna talk about here. One, we'll talk about the marketplace themselves and what their guidelines take. Right. But let's talk about what why why does a manufacturer have the right to to say it's new and not stand behind their product? Well, let's just talk about the warranty. We'll talk about warranty. We'll talk about um, and customer care. And we'll talk about re, uh, recalls. Well, Maurice, what if you you have Let's just say a battery. We'll, we'll take the Samsung instance, and I'm not yeah. even picking on them. They actually did a good job recalling all those batteries and taking care of that. But if if a retail arbitrager or a third-party seller that's not authorized gets himself gets his hands on a hundred batteries, yep, and he's like, "I got these at a great price. I'm going to sell them on on Amazon or on eBay." Well, when that happened and they started catching fire, how can Samsung initiate a recall to protect the consumers? Right. Right. Remember, they were held liable for that. Like, like hundreds of millions of dollars of lawsuits, I think. Right. They were held liable and they initiated a recall. Well, if you've got unauthorized sellers that you don't have contact information, they don't know material handling, they don't have these things, you can't initiate a recall to get that product back to protect the consumers. So the product's out there. That's a great point. It, it is. And, and that goes to, I always talk about anything you put on or in your body, right? right. Supplements, lotions, things that, that maybe not FDA, but... Uh, still something that you should, you, you know, it's important. It could be somebody making their own hand lotions. Well, right. you find out two years later that it actually had something that's bad for you. You got to recall it. Well, there's product all out there by third-party sellers who, who by nature hide behind different PO boxes and identities and you can't contact them and you have to go through all the Amazon communication or eBay communication. How are you going to issue that recall? How are you going to protect the consumers? Yeah. So the courts have actually said, you're right. We are not going to make the manufacturer liable for those types of things because they're not authorized. But they still have the right to sell. Right. So they actually have it where you where you need to sell it used like new, not new, because you're authorized. Now to my second point, marketplaces. Amazon's a great example, being you know called the eighty twenty rule, right? Eighty percent Amazon, twenty percent everybody else. Yeah, sure. <laughs> um, <laughs> Amazon has it pursuant to their own guidelines, their own FAQs and their own ways to sell, and they're also category listings. Yeah. Um, new is as stated, states a lot of things, but it says as stated, when full warranty applies. Um, only a product can be sold as new when a full warranty applies. Well, almost every manufacturer that I work with, and most manufacturers that I know, they have what's called a non-transferable warranty. And um, a non-transferable warranty basically doesn't mean it doesn't transfer to the end user as much as it doesn't transfer to the end user if it was sold by an unauthorized seller. And this goes back, there's been a handful of lawsuits that, that that's, that's filed and, and judges have sided with the manufacturer on this. But I remember back when I was working with Sony, years and years when the, when the, when the PS3 came out. Right? Oh, that yeah. was the biggest rush. Oh, yeah. Well, what happened was Sony found out the hard way. Everybody was, you know, everybody's selling, selling these out of their basement and their underwear because they got them <laughs> waited in line at Best Buy and there wasn't limits back then, right? So you right. buy 20 of them and then you go and you're selling them on eBay and you're selling them all around. Well, when they went bad and those first generations of those PS3s, they had what's called, I think it was called the gold ring of death or something like that. When they'd overheat and they would go, well, there was no receipts, right? Well, there, Sony only warrantied products when you had proof of purchase or the right. receipt right. and printing off your eBay or printing off your Amazon wasn't wasn't Doesn't a receipt yep. because they weren't they, they didn't buy it from an authorized dealer. Well, when I say Sony kind of learned the hard way, 
the consumer learned the hard way too because it became a PR issue, right? Because yep. a lot of the consumers back then didn't know. It's like, I, I could find it here. I'm going to buy it. They didn't know. No warranty applies. Sony's not going to stand behind them. Yep. And when they call Sony's customer service, they have to be the bad guys. So it was a public relations issue for Sony. Sure. The consumers were out. What do you do in a situation like that? Right. Fast forward 10 years to where we are today. Yeah. Now we're trying to get ahead of that. Oh, because yeah. a lot of these, when when you think of, I'm talking, there's good faith third-party sellers, which mm -hmm. is who a lot of are listening today, yeah. and a lot of who you talk to and we deal with. But there's also bad faith third-party sellers where they co-mingle counterfeit, co-mingle subpar products, so yep. recalls, um, all these different types of things. And they're commingling that, commingling it with Amazon gets out there. Well, the consumer hurts when that happens. Yes. So the best way to try to help and protect the consumer is put these things in place. Um, make sure that if it is a third-party seller that wants to buy low and sell high, it's the American way, and I support yep. that, you can't sell it as new. You need to sure. sell it used like new. I understand there's a lot of shortcomings to that. These, sure. these third-party sellers get inventory. They send inventory into Amazon. They're paying all these absorbent fees and Amazon charges them and they're not obtaining the buy box because they're not selling it as new. Right. So they might sit on that product a little bit better. But once they move it to use like new, it's not gonna show up in the radar manufacturers. Mm -hmm. They can put different pricing on it. It's not gonna hit the it's not gonna hit a map violation. And I understand map only applies to authorized sellers, but it's not gonna come up on a radar for for an aggressive enforcement because now you're not hurting authorized sellers. Yes. Yes. And that's the thing, and I'm sure I know you want a couple podcasts talking about that, but when you start having a third-party seller that's unauthorized selling at different price points, it disrupts the entire channel. Yep. And you have unauthorized sellers that have agreements in place and said, yeah, we all want to work together. We all want the greater good. I want to sell X at this price so we all have a fair competition. And then a third-party seller comes in with five of them and disrupts that entire channel. Right. And then the manufacturer hurts, the third-party sellers hurt, and then the end, the consumers are going to hurt too if yep. the product does be deemed anything other than the way it should. Yep. And you bring up some other good things on good face sellers. I've had a number of uh, discussions with we're really, they're really good people as far as the uh, unauthorized third-party sellers. They had no idea until they received a cease and desist letter. Yep. So in those cases where they want to do right by by the company, they want to adhere to uh, being ethical and such, what are some of the things that they could do if they receive a, a cease and desist or, or a communication of uh, like that? I think it's a good question. Well, if we back up a little bit and we talk about... Um, I wouldn't, if I was a third-party seller, one, I wouldn't buy product mm -hmm. just because I can scan it with my phone and it looks like I have margins on it. Yes. I would actually take a look. There was a time when Amazon had their gating and you right. could actually log on to Amazon and they would tell you all the things you can and can't sell. At right. Least, I mean, I'm, I'm really dumbing that down, but that's basically <laughs> what it was. Sure. Amazon doesn't really do the gating as much anymore. It's kind of a, um, just like everything else, I've wrote a couple articles on Amazon's brand protection services just to be a public relations thing. <laughs> sure. But but that being said, I, I think if you receive a, a cease and desist letter, the very first thing you should do is you should suspend that product. And I'm, I'm going to speak from the enforce enforcing guy. Yeah. Right? And yeah. for everybody, for people who don't know me, um, I, I would say that take me on my word, right? <laughs> After 20 years of doing this and uh, working for majority of the Fortune 100 and manufacturers and writing policies, this is what... If you want to get in good graces and make sure that you don't have any issues, right. you can either throw your fist ups and throw down a scrap fight with them, which I'm telling you in the end, you're going to lose. Right. And the reason why I say you're going to lose, you may be able to sell through that product, but I'll be dang if, if, if that manufacturer is not going to find out where you got that product, they're yep. going to tighten their channels. Um, they're going to rewrite their policies. They're going to get lawyers after you, and then you're going to have to go hire a lawyer 
they're going to fight it because they're going to do anything to protect their investment, which is building that product. So what's the easiest way? Suspend your product immediately. Just put it on hold. Yep. Draft an email right over to whoever sent you that, whether it was, you know, Howland Associates or it was a firm and go, hey, I I did not know I was not authorized. Yep. I acquired the product legitimately. Here's where I acquired the product. Right. I have since suspended my product until we can have a communication on this. And I would like to become authorized or find a way for me to be to sell these products in a legitimate manner. Yeah. You and I both know we've done this long enough, Maurice, that oh, yeah. when a seller does that, I go to bat for them. I go to no the doubt. manufacturer yes. and I say, you need to let this guy sell through because right. this is a good faith seller. Yep. I, when I get the guy going, screw you, I could do what I want. I don't really care. <laughs> I get these all the time. Talk to my lawyer. I could do pursuant to New York law. Yeah, exactly. I'm like, Oh, really? Now it's a challenge. Yes. Because now you're going to challenge me. You're a third-party seller and you're challenging me. I have 20 years experience working for law firms and everything. Now you're going to say, now I'm going to be a vendetta because you're not a good face seller. You're basically telling I'm going to do what I want when I want. And now you're going to put us in a position where we're going to need to take a look at this and we're going to have to decide if a brand registry yep. claim is, is valid. We're going to decide if an eBay bureau claim is valid. Right. We're going to have to see, do we now engage our attorneys to write a formal letter? Yep. Um, do, do, how, do, how do we go about that as opposed to, I mean, it goes down to when you and I were growing up, right? What did right. our mom always say, right? Yep. You catch more, with, <laughs> more flies with honey than you do with vinegar, and that's right. absolutely true. If you open that communication, now not only do you have the person who sent that letter as an advocate, yep. but now you're, you're, you're going to come across probably as as a good faith seller yep and 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 they're going to embrace that and go you know what let me take a look at his store he's moving product yep he he's selling it the right way i think we can handle one more seller on this yep and let's get him in contact with bob over there at the distribution on the on the west coast and let's go and see maybe 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 he can get more product if he's that type of seller and just so everybody listens um all the big big third-party sellers the professional large third-party sellers out there that's how they started it totally is. And and not only that, I have actually seen it myself that when those good faith sellers say, hey, can we communicate with these folks? They have been authorized. It's, it's been fantastic. Not every time, uh, but at least they, they, they come up with something that is beneficial for both parties. Yeah. Uh, and... And it comes yes. down to Maurice too, where if you've got a decent sized store, yep. and let's say you got a hundred different products in your store, yes, and and you've got three of my manufacturers, and I'm writing you a letter, is it really worth you jeopardizing your whole store for that? And when I say you're jeopardizing, if I do do a product buying, you are commingling your product, and I happen to get a counterfeit, or I happen to get a open box, or anything yes. that's a true valid, and the man, I won't do a brand registry claim, but I will work with the manufacturer to submit a brand. If these submit a brand registry claim, you're now rolling the dice that yes. yeah, my listings could get pulled or my whole store can get pulled because you never know the pulse of Amazon. Right. They, they may fight back. They may ask you, where did you acquire the product? Show me an invoice. You can go on the seller phones and see all that. But I always like to just go, is it really worth it? Yep. Is these three products that maybe you're going to make a couple hundred bucks on worth your whole store? Or yep. do you want to become an advocate? Yep. And be part of everything 3P or be part of the manufacturer's authorized seller channel. Be part of that forum where it's like, you know what, maybe we should work with these guys. Maybe we no should doubt. talk about it. It's not worth it. Yep. And if all your products are only that manufacturer and you acquired them in an illicit manner, you eventually are going to get shut down. Whether yep. you sell through the product, they'll find their leak in distribution. They'll find how you got that product and they're going to cut that off. Yep. We've seen that every time. Part of the investigation side, right? It's true. And the other, the flip side is true too. When you have a good faith seller and they're saying, hey, we thought this because, 
what that allows the brands to do is work with their distributors or other things to make up they sharp the policies to make sure that everyone's communicated in a, in a fluid fashion. Uh, and so, again, fighting against it is, you know, it might work, but not every time. And, but I have seen more good come of it when you have those, I, those conversations. I, I agree. And, I, you know, it does frustrate me. Obviously, I've always come at this from, the, from, from one side. But from the manufacturer perspective, when a, when a third-party seller gets really fists up and they want to be confrontational and they're yeah. like, I have the right, um, you're, you're breaking the law, you can't do that. I mean, let's just, I, I would love everybody just to listen, listen to this right here. What it takes for a brand, doesn't right. matter what it is, right. what it takes for a brand to conceptualize a product, register the trademarks, the patents, manufacture right. that product, do the public relations, the yeah. advertising, go to market with that product. I feel, and I know that courts have cited all different ways, but I feel a manufacturer not only has the right, right. to protect their channel Absolutely. and their their intellectual property, but I think it's it's I think it's morally for everybody to actually step back and go, you know what? They did that. Right? Look at what yeah. Apple has done. Apple has done a great job building up a brand. Whether you're an Apple person or not, right. Apple has built up a good brand. They didn't build that brand by everybody ripping them off everywhere. Yes. And they did have, they do have counterfeit. Everybody knows they have problems, but but they went a different approach, aggressively enforced it, protected it, and went to market with it. And I could just go on and on. Like almost all of our clients that, that we either engage today or engaged in the past, they are investing time and resources and money not to be you know, buttheads, if you will, yeah, to the whole no world. No doubt about it. It's yep. basically coming down and going, we've got an obligation. we got a brand. We have brand integrity. we got consumer confidence issues. we got yep. our authorized sales channel. These third-party sellers that go out there that just splat the market with this stuff, they don't understand that trickle effect. Exactly. I mean, you and I see manufacturers that it got so bad, they laid off entire departments. Exactly. Yes. Right? Yep. Because they're yep. like, we can't get a hold of this. We had to let our half our sales team go. We're yeah. going to a different approach because... There's so rampant third-party sellers out there that are eroding the price so much that it drove the price down. Sure. Um, distributors don't want to distribute the product. Authorized resellers, there's no margins anymore because they're competing yeah. with third-party sellers. Yeah. So you kind of have to go out there, and you can, you know, third-party seller can make a quick buck, but what at what at what expense, right? Right. And and what, yeah. are you truly breaking the law? I do believe you're breaking Amazon's guidelines, and I'll right. use that against in an enforcement document because it's right. very explicitly says that. Maybe you're not breaking the law, but you are doing some damage. And yep. long term, it's not sustainable. Would you rather have a sustainable business? Yep. How do you get a sustainable business, Maurice? You get in bed with the manufacturers, you get in bed with the distributors, you get in the agreements, you get in the terms and conditions, you sell product, you have a competitive advantage with everybody else. You may not have the buy box 100% of the time, but it's good to have the buy box 20% yes. of the time for year on year yes. than to have it 100% of the time to move the 10 products you just got. And I hope the audience just listened to that last little snippet right there because you essentially just outlined exactly what you need to do in order to become that That's right. awesome partner as that, that third-party seller. I'm, I'm telling you, I, I am very much, um, I guess people would call, <laughs> you call me a moron, but how about an oxymoron? <laughs> an oxymoron. I, I, I talk out of both sides of my mouth and I can flip right. side with that where I, I enforce manufacturers, but I enforce third-party sellers yes. very much so because if you're a good faith person and doing things the right way yeah i will always be in your corner yep absolutely right well dave thanks a ton this is good stuff i hope the audience found it uh useful as well and please if there is anything that uh, you would like to uh listen to in the future 
please let us know. Uh, you can communicate with us through the, the podcast itself or through the emails at, at, at Howland Associates. Thank you very much and have a pleasant day.